good. Good morning. Good to be back house with you. I want to say a special, real quick before we dive in, say a special thank you to our very own Whitney Wiseman, who brought the word last week. Did a great job for us. Telling you, as far as communicators, we have an embarrassment of riches. So I'm very, very grateful to her and and everybody on our staff who teaches and leads from this place. Um, Vince Lombardi, John Wooden, Waylon Jennings, and Jesus. Say that again. Vince Lombardi, John Wooden, Waylon Jennings, and Jesus. Now, before you start trying to connect the dots, let me just share with you a little about each of them. For those of you who may be not totally familiar with all of them, of course, besides Jesus. Vince Lombardi, of course, the legendary coach of the Green Bay Packers in 1961. The Packers were coming off of a loss in the NFL title game to the Philadelphia Eagles. As they opened training camp that summer, players were on the edge of their seat wondering what Coach Lombardi had come up with, what strategy, what inspiration he would use to get them over the championship hump. And as they opened camp, he walked to the front of his players who were waiting with bated breath and He held in his hand a football, and to inspire them to greatness, he said, gentlemen, this is a football. Wide receiver Max McGee was in the back of the crowd, and he said, wait a minute, coach, slow down. You're going too fast. John Wooden. John Wooden in 1963-64 season would begin a run at UCLA winning 10 championships in 12 years, a record which will never be surpassed, unless it happens here with Coach Beard at the University of Texas. But along the way, John Wooden coached some of the greatest college talent to ever play the game. Names like Lou Alcindor, who became Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, Bill Walton. The, The list goes on and on and on. And yet with this kind of talent, year after year after year, Coach Wooden began every single season by sitting this assembled world-class talent in the bleachers in the UCLA gymnasium, sitting them down and teaching them every single year how to put on socks and shoes. That's how he started every single season. And he would say, this is how you put on socks so that you don't create blisters. Then you lace up your shoes in this way. And it was from that foundation that he would build a championship dynasty that will never be surpassed. Waylon Jennings, king of the outlaw country music movement. In 1977, he immortalized a microscopic Texas town that seven years before had closed their post office. It was so small. I'm talking, of course, about Luckenbach, Texas. And in this Song Waylon encourages a fictitious couple focused on their finances and keeping up with the Joneses to get back to the basics of love. You know the song. Jesus. I'm going to get there in just a minute. But what I want to do is share with you the thread that ties all of these icons together. They all shared a fanatical Focus on the fundamentals. Whatever the arena might have been, 
If you go back through history, generals and pastors, coaches and politicos have preached the undeniable link between victory and fundamentals, success in whatever arena you want to talk about, and paying attention to the basics, focusing on the fundamentals. As we continue this series, Family Style, and we continue to look at God's design, God's desire for the, the foundational, elemental building block of culture and society and the world, the family, I think it's imperative that we share this fundamental, fanatical focus on the fundamentals, that we remember the basics of what it is all about. We, we've started with kind of high, uh, a high-altitude view. Last week, Whitney taught us so beautifully about parenting and what that shows us about who God is and how we interact with him, but also how to parent in the real world. But today, we're going to focus on the most foundational relationship in the world. I'm talking, of course, about marriage, this, this centerpiece, this, this keystone, linchpin of the family. As the marriage goes, so goes the family. Now, we've already said throughout this series that it is entirely possible for a marriage to fail or, or to not be everything God designed and desires it to be and God to step in and fill in the blanks. That happens all the time. Unfortunately, it's necessary. And fortunately, by the grace of God, his grace is sufficient. We've established that. And, and I know also that already some may be thinking to themselves, man, this isn't for me. I'm not married. I, I don't have any interest in being married anytime soon or maybe ever at all. But I want to encourage you especially, don't check out on this thing. As a matter of fact, God says repeatedly throughout the Bible that it is single followers of Christ. Followers of Christ who are not married, who help us to understand, who help us to appreciate marriage and what it is, but also that as a single follower of Christ, you hold a special place. You hold a special office in the body of Christ. I'm, I'm gonna get to that in just a minute. But real quickly, I wanna go back to Jesus. I wanna go back to Jesus and what he taught about this fanatical focus on the fundamentals. If you have your Bibles, look at Matthew chapter 19. In Matthew 19, Jesus is again confronted by the Pharisees. The Pharisees were a, a sect of Judaism alive and well during Jesus' day, and they were kind of the self-appointed religious rules and regulations watchdogs. And over and over again, they tried to, they tried to trap Jesus. They, they would engage him in doctrinal discussions, hoping to discredit and denigrate his influence with the common folks that they tried to keep under wraps. And in this particular exchange, in Matthew 19, they use the subject of marriage, or maybe more specifically, the subject of divorce in their attempt to trap Jesus. Here's how Matthew records this exchange. Matthew 19, we're starting in verse 3. The Bible says, some Pharisees came and tried to trap him with this question. Should a man be allowed to divorce his wife for just any reason? Haven't you read the scriptures, Jesus replied? They record that from the beginning, God made them male and female. And he said, 
This explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. Since they are no longer two but one, let no one split apart what God has joined together. It's a fascinating exchange. They come to him talking about divorce, and he goes back to Genesis. It's it's as if Jesus says to the Pharisees, and for that matter to you and to me, this is a family football. He says, this is the bottom line. Before we even start talking about divorce, let's talk about what marriage really and truly is. And, And he goes back to the beginning and he says, don't you remember? You've read the Bible, right? Kind of a little mm, dig at the Pharisees. And he goes, remember, God created us male and female. In the image of God, he created them male and female. And that's why people come together as husband and wife. Because it is in the image of God that men carry parts of God's image, but women, thankfully, carry other parts of God's image that we don't share. And the, the, the clear teaching of Christ, the clear teaching of the Bible, and you, you're going to want to write this down because it's really, really important. Men and women are different. <laughs> I've said it. I'm, I'm, I'm just, I'm just going to put that out there. Men and women are different. By the grace of God. And this is foundational. It is fundamental to marriage. It is fundamental to the family. I think sometimes fundamental gets a bad rap. As if fundamental means elementary or remedial. Or sometimes it gets used to to mean legalistic. But the word fundamental really just means foundational. That's where the word comes from in the Latin. It just means a foundation. So if we ignore fundamentals, if we we discount fundamentals, what we're really doing is compromising and corrupting the integrity of the structure of whatever it is we may be talking about. The fundamentals of marriage means that God, in his wisdom and grace and truth, brought together men and women in marriage man and woman to represent him, to bear his image. That's why this thing called marriage is so powerful. It's why it's so beautiful. It's why it is so rich. And Jesus is trying to get the Pharisees to take their eyes off of the speck and see the entire forest. Pull back and look at what God has done. Look at what God intends. Going back to the conversation about those of our church family who are not married, who maybe don't want to be married or or, are not married right now. Did you know that Hebrews chapter 13, verse four says, marriage should be honored by all and the marriage bed kept pure for God will judge all the sexually immoral. The reason that that is so profound, the reason that God is so serious about sexual immorality is because it goes to the very core of representing his character and his nature. So when we compromise in this arena, we're compromising the image of God we were created to bear. It is a big, big deal. If you are single, you're in some great company. 
You're in great company. The Apostle Paul, who wrote more than two-thirds of the New Testament, the Apostle Paul himself was single. As a matter of fact, he said he was better off because he was not married. He was able, he was able to focus more on the things of God. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 7. 1 Corinthians 7. This is the Apostle Paul under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God writing. And he says, now I say to those who aren't married and to widows, it's better to stay unmarried just as I am. But if they can't control themselves, they should go ahead and marry. It is better to marry than to burn with lust. Then skip down to verse 35. Verse 35, this is so important. He says, I am saying all of this for your benefit, not to place restrictions on you, I want you to do whatever will help you serve the Lord best with as few distractions as possible. What an incredible word of encouragement and value to those who are single. We need to understand that marriage is not the be-all and end-all of the human experience. It's significant, it's important, but ultimately, whether you're married or whether you're single, the question is not about, are you in love? Do you feel that quiver in your liver? Or are you attracted to them? Are you compatible? Do you want to have children? None, those things are important. Don't mistake me. But ultimately, what did he say? He goes, I'm telling you this so that you can figure out what is the best way for you to serve the Lord. How do you serve the Lord best? Now, let me ask you a question. How many of us in the church family are married? Can I see a show of hands if you are married? Keep your hands up if you would. Thank you. Now, how many of us, let's say in the last week, have been distracted, to use Paul's word, by, keep your hands up, that's okay. How many of us have been distracted by our spouse? I mean, there have been a couple of times where I was like, what does Julie want? What is she thinking? And in those moments, I have not been thinking about how I can best serve the Lord. I'm thinking, what the heck? That happens. That's what Paul's saying here. So please understand, if you're single, we are so grateful for you. We so value you. You, you have such a special place in the church, the, the family of faith, and marriage should be honored by all. The, the fact is that most people, most, not all, but most, over 50%, desire at some point to get married. And when we have that desire, when we think God is leading us to that, then we have to adopt this fanatical focus on the fundamentals. We have to understand what it is that God is up to, what he is trying to accomplish in and through marriage. As the Bible says, men and women are different. Men and women are different. I, I've thought for years, women who try to compete with men are aiming way too low. I mean, as we like to say, you know, it, everybody says, you know, you got to set the bar, set the bar high, set the bar high. If Women, you're competing with men. The bar is on the floor. Think about this. When God created man, just man, he, he looked in and he said, it's not good for the man 
to be alone. I will create for him a helper, someone suitable, someone to complete him. And then bone of his bone, flesh of his flesh from a rib, not from the head so that she wouldn't dominate, not from the foot so that he would dominate. Side by side, he created woman, woman. Ephesians chapter five gives us a, a complete roadmap as to how husbands and wives are to view their roles within marriage. What we're, what we're to do as we focus on the fundamentals, it's one thing to say that we're different, but then you gotta say, what do we do? If marriage is gonna be honored by all, how do we go about this? What does it look like? How do we pull this off? Now, I'm gonna begin with husbands. Ephesians chapter five starts with wives, and we'll, we'll get to the ladies, but I'm gonna begin with husbands, and I, I think you'll understand why as we go through this. Look at Ephesians chapter five, verse 25 and following. Ephesians 5, 25. The Bible says, for husbands, this means love your wives just as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. He did this to present her to himself as a glorious church without a spot or a wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she will be holy and without fault. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as they love their own bodies. For a man who loves his wife actually shows love for himself. No one hates his own body, but he feeds and cares for it just as Christ cares for the church. Husbands, here it is. Love like Christ. Love like Christ. You know, for years and years, generations, centuries, people have talked about, people in the church have talked about spiritual leadership in the home, resting on the husband. And there's an element of that that is absolutely accurate and true and good. But it is imperative, imperative that we understand what spiritual leadership looks like in the context of the gospel. And it looks like Jesus. If, if you wanna think about words for husbands, loving like Christ, think about these two words. Sacrificial responsibility. Sacrificial responsibility. That is your job, husbands. Women, if you're single and, and want to be married one day, that's what you're looking for. You, you're not looking for somebody who's hot with a big bank account, necessarily. You're looking for someone who is capable of practicing biblical, godly, sacrificial responsibility. Jesus took responsibility for the church. Jesus took initiative for the church. Jesus came and died for the church, gave himself up before we even knew to ask for it. Now, husbands, think about that for a second. Think about how many husbands in the room have ever gotten to a sticking point and you didn't know what to say or what to do with your wife. 
I mean this morning. <laughs> we all get there. But God calls us to this sacrificial responsibility to, to love our wives like Christ loves the church. On my best day, I can't pull that off. I need help. Husbands in the room, let's say it together on the count of three. One, two, three. I need help. Let's say it again like we really mean it, okay? <laughs> I need help. I need the help of the Holy Spirit. I need the help of Scripture. I need the help of other men who will challenge me and encourage me to be that kind of husband. To, to give myself up for Julie. Can I just tell you, that is not my first step. That, that, is, that is not my knee-jerk reflex. When I wake up in the morning, when I go to bed at night, I am not automatically thinking, you know, how could I serve her? What could I do to make her life easier and better, richer and fuller? But in those instances when I have listened to the prompting of the Holy Spirit, when I have felt like God's speaking to me, maybe in the middle of an argument, love her like Christ. Talk to her like Christ would talk to her. When I have responded to those promptings and done that, everything else gets better. Every single time. Sacrificial responsibility. We take responsibility for the welfare of our brides. That's what Jesus did for the church. We take responsibility for our wives' spiritual health and welfare. We're leading them by example to say, this is my faith. This is what I'm learning with Christ. This is my prayer life. And I'm sharing this with you. In God's economy, there is no value greater or lesser on husband or wife. There is equal value but different roles. And so the role of the husband is sacrificial responsibility. That's biblical leadership. Now, let's take a look at what the Bible says to wives. Verses 21 through 24. It says, and further, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. For wives, this means submit to your husbands as to the Lord. Right now, some of you are thinking, I wish I could preach this message. I wish that was me up there. But watch this. For a husband is the head of his wife as Christ is the head of the church. We've already established sacrificial responsibility. He is the savior of his body, the church, as the church submits to Christ so you wives should submit to your husbands in everything. Wives, go back to verse 21. Submit out of reverence for Christ. Trust Christ through your husband. Trust Christ through your husband. Trust that God is in your marriage. Trust in this supernatural God-led relationship, God is at work. Now, 
one big advantage that the church has with Christ that you don't have with your husband? The bridegroom of the church is perfect. Your bridegroom ain't. Some of you are like, yeah, tell me. But you still have the opportunity out of reverence for Christ to submit. If, if the key words for husbands are sacrificial responsibility, the key words for wives are encouraging goodness. Encouraging goodness. That means that you bring goodness to your husband. Proverbs 31, woman. Her husband calls her blessed at the city gates and she brings goodness to his life all the days of his life. She brings goodness. Remember when God looked at man by himself and he said, it's not good for the man to be alone. To, to satisfy and solve that dilemma, he created woman to bring goodness to the man. You get to be the goodness of God to your husband. What an incredible gift. What an incredible opportunity. Listen, when you encourage your husband, when you fill him with that courage, when you bring that goodness to him, watch him shine. I, I've said this for years. I, I think of, of a godly wife is the one who is fanning the flames of God in her husband. She's, she's fanning the flames. Now, for some of you, it may be just a little glowing ember. It, it may be just, you just try to, you know, get whatever it takes. But you're feeding the fire of God in the life of your husband. It's this incredible back and forth between a husband who serves his wife sacrificially, who takes responsibility for the welfare of their home in every way, and this wife who encourages, who fills her husband with courage and goodness. And together, together, they are united into one flesh, one mind, one body, one soul, one life. And it is, it is this fanatical focus on the fundamentals that will make a marriage flourish, that will make it be everything God wants it to be. And just to be clear, look at how Ephesians 5 finishes this description of the fundamentals. It says, this is a great mystery, verse 32. But it is an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. See, ultimately, marriage, ultimately, foundationally, fundamentally, marriage is not even about husband and wife. Husband and wife are the vehicles for the gospel and the goodness of God. And so that's the fire that we feed through this focus on the fundamentals. I had an opportunity one time that I will never, ever forget. It was a conversation with a woman well into her 80s who she knew was approaching the end of her life. And so I went into this conversation knowing that it's, it's sacred ground. It's, it's one of the things that I get to do in my calling as a pastor. 
And she began by sharing with me her, her childhood, which had been incredibly challenging. Her father had died when she was very, very young. Her mother was unemployed, didn't have a means for supporting the family, and so she went to live with an aunt. The aunt and her uncle couldn't sustain and support them, so she went to an orphanage, an orphanage that was run by some very harsh people. But then she pivoted. And she said, I, I, I have to tell you, I've seen the hand of God in my life so many times. And I, I could give you a list, but I will tell you the number one way that I've seen the hand of God in my life. The husband he gave me. The husband he gave me. And as she began to describe her marriage of more than 55 years, I just sat there listening and I just thought, man, God, please one day let Julie say the same thing. Whatever I do or don't do in this world, please, God, let me be that kind of husband so that at the end of her life, Julie might say, hopefully and prayerfully, you know, of all the things that I saw God do, it was my husband. Marriage is about the gospel. Marriage is about the good news of Jesus Christ, that Jesus Christ gave himself up. Yes, for the church, capital C, but that means for you, by name. By name, Jesus died for you. Jesus went to the cross and became your sin. He became my sin. And he paid the penalty for our sins so that we don't have to. The Bible says that the wages of sin, the payoff of sin is death. But the gift of God, the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. It is the forgiveness of our sins and the life that is truly life. I wanna ask you to bow your heads for just a moment. And in this moment, if you have never stepped into that life, you may be here in the room, you may be online. As a church, we wanna give you the opportunity to do just that. To begin a relationship with God to pray a prayer of beginning, a prayer of commitment and submission. Submission to the one who loves you unconditionally and perfectly. If that's you, then you pray these words silently right where you are. Just say, Jesus, I need you. I need you and I I believe in this moment that you died on the cross for me, that you rose again from the dead for me. And in this moment, I accept this gift. I realize I can't earn it. 
can't do enough good things or not do enough bad things, but it's a gift. And so I accept. I commit my life to you. I confess my sin to you. And I will follow you from this moment forward. Lord, I pray this prayer in your name. If you would just remain with your heads bowed for another moment. One of the things that we get to do as a church is when someone steps into that relationship with Christ, we get to come alongside and just help with what follows. In just a moment, we'll tell you kind of how we do that in a way that works for you at your pace as God leads. But right now, I just want to take a second. If that was your prayer and you meant it, would you just raise your hand? If you would just raise your hand and hold it up high over your head for a second. And in this moment, know that as a church family, we celebrate that with you. We honor that. And our family tradition is you can put your hands down as we put our hands together and tell you, welcome home. Welcome home.